Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Merry Christmas. It's good to see everybody. I hope everyone has had a good um, time with their family and friends and in celebration. And I hope that there's still a little bit left in you to come because we are still in the Christmas season. That's why we still can greet each other with the phrase Merry Christmas because Christmas is 12 days long. It begins on Christmas Eve and it goes all the way to the eve of Epiphany, uh, which is January 6th. And, uh, and actually the Christmas season is longer than that even if you measure how the church is ordering things based on the Feast of Christmas. Christmas is actually a fulcrum that sort of controls this whole pole of the church year. We begin Christmas, or we begin doing things according to where Christmas is, uh, actually with the Sunday before Advent begins. So we have, it's not the final uh, Sunday of Trinity Tide or Pentecost or whatever, it's, it's called the Sunday next before Advent, and that happens every year. So then there are four Sundays of Advent, of course, and then there's Christmas itself. And then we have the Christmas season of you know 12 days going all the way up to Epiphany. And then Epiphany itself is, uh, is an octave, and so there's Epiphany, and then eight days later we mark the end of Epiphany with its octave. But then going beyond that, we have this time after Epiphany that goes all the way until the 40th day after Christmas when the reading that we just read in the office is celebrated, when Jesus is taken up to the temple by his parents uh, for the purification of Mary, his mother, and also for his dedication as the firstborn. And so beginning five Sundays before Christmas, going all the way to 40 days after Christmas, the church is doing things in relation to Christmas Day. So clearly it's a very special day in our calendar, and it actually sort of mirrors what the church does with Easter as well in the springtime. In the spring, Easter is sort of the fulcrum that uh, everything beginning with Septuagesima all the way to Pentecost um, and the octave after Pentecost is, is sort of looking towards. So Easter in the springtime serves as this fulcrum for this massive part of the church calendar, and in the wintertime, Christmas does the same thing. And so it's no wonder that the church sort of looks at Christmas and Easter in similar ways. Easter, of course, is the greatest feast of our entire church year because it is the culmination of all that Christ came to do for us. It is his finished work. He dies for us, redeeming us with his death, and then he conquers death on Easter so that he becomes the first fruits of what we are all promised to become, resurrected ourselves. This is the final work of salvation that Christ uh, works out for us, and so it is the biggest feast. But all of that begins for us with Christmas. Now, really, the main feast of the Incarnation kind of is, is the Annunciation nine months before Christmas when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you know, I have news for you. And she asks, 
how, how this news is going to happen. And he says, it's going to be the Holy Spirit who descends upon you, and this child shall be called the Son of God. And so that's when we mark the Holy Spirit descending upon Mary and the Word of God entering her womb. And because in the womb of Mary, the Word of God first takes flesh from Mary, Mary's own flesh, God himself partakes of and forms for himself a body and a human nature. That is the beginning of our uh, Savior's incarnation. But that was so hidden, so out of the way, that no one knew about that except Mary and then Elizabeth. And in Advent, we finally start to realize, almost like Joseph did, seeing Mary's belly begin to grow, we realize something is happening, something is on its way. And so in Christmas, we celebrate the fact of the incarnation. We, we know that it began nine months earlier at, a, at uh, the, uh, the Annunciation, but at Christmas, the incarnation is revealed. God is born into the world, and we see him. We behold him with our eyes for the first time. We place the little Christ Bambino, the little baby back there in our, it's not quite a crash, it's a little scene, but anyway, that's when we see God for the first time is at Christmas. What a remarkable feast this is. And you'd think the joy of this season would just spill out you know, over all 12 days of Christmas and we would just have unedited party time. You know, there, there's no, nothing to be concerned about. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But we would be wrong. Because what is the first thing we do the day after Christmas? We look at the first martyr of the church, St. Stephen, and mark his death. So the day after Christmas, when the Prince of Peace is born into the world, we acknowledge that those who follow him very well may have to endure martyrdom. And it doesn't end with St. Stephen. The next day, we look at St. John, who wasn't a martyr in deed, uh, but in will. He wasn't actually put to death, although many had tried. He was burned alive in boiling oil. Uh, he was There was a, an attempt on his life by poisoning some wine that he was drinking, and uh, God saved his life, uh, preserved him, which is why on St. John's Day, traditionally, wine is blessed. Um, and so here you have you know, this martyr in will, but not in deed. First we have a martyr in will and deed, then a martyr in will, but not in deed, and then the day after St. John's Day, what do we celebrate? What do we mark? I say celebrate. It's true, we do, but it's a complicated celebration. We mark those holy innocents, those babies who were killed in Bethlehem by Herod when he had heard that a king was born. So now we have on the third day after Christmas, martyrs in deed, but not in will. They were too young to choose this path. But as St. Augustine says, what they were lacking in their will God more than made up for them in their glory by being the first fruits, the first martyrs of the church because of the cause of Christ. So we have this very, very mixed emotional time right after Christmas. The, the joy, the peace, the comfort. The, there's, a, there's a word in uh, the Scandinavian countries, I think it's like higa or something like that. I don't know how it's pronounced. But it's, it's this concept of at home, comfort, coziness, peace. Just that home fire, 
gathered around family and friends, happy in your own home and hearth with your feet up and, you know, eggnog and, and or whatever, uh, straight whiskey, whatever, whatever makes you feel the higa. Um, that's what Christmas is sort of, that's in our minds. That's what the day of Christmas feels like. And then immediately we're, we're singing hymns about, you know, the blood streaming down the face of the first martyr of the church. So there's this strange balance that we have to attain in the life of the church. And this is the first time we experience it. If, if we're talking about sort of the beginning of the church year, which, which for us in the Western Rite, it starts in Advent. And we have this first feast, this first exciting celebration that we're working up toward through Advent. And then we get there and then immediately it's counterbalanced with sort of this realization that the coming of the Prince of Peace did not automatically spread peace throughout the world. That's a project, apparently. It's, it's a way, a path that has to be walked. And that walking out of that path, the spreading of peace, the taking of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, the, the word of the Eternal Father, is made flesh just like us so that our flesh can be saved and redeemed. That's wonderful news. We take it out into the world and the world kills us for it. We literally get killed by the world for bringing this news. Wonderful news, the three wise men show up uh, and say to Herod, a king is born. Herod slaughters an entire town's worth of babies two and under. Wonderful news, St. <laughs> Paul says to uh, you know the cities around Asia Minor as he goes to preach, a king has been born, it's God himself, he's here to save us. He is stoned, he's thrown out of city, he receives lashes you know, from the synagogues that he visits. Wonderful news, St. Peter proclaims as he goes to Rome, the, the seat of the greatest empire that the world has ever known. The true Lord of all the world has been born, has taken our nature, has redeemed it, and given us a path to salvation. They decide, we'll show you, and they crucify him just like his Lord, not quite just like his Lord. He did request to be crucified upside down for, uh, for out of humility. He didn't want to share in the exact same death as, as Christ, feeling unworthy. So this is the Christian life. This is the Christian way. The beginning of the way, a light shines in the world, and this light becomes a lamp into our feet to show us the way to walk. And what does it show us? A very, very bumpy road. In Advent, we talk about you know, bringing the mountains down and lifting the valleys to create a straight way for God to come into the world. We, you know, we work to, to clear out the bumps in the road. Paul is an amazing example, just beating after beating, lashing after lashing. Uh, he was literally thrown out of a city once and, and everyone thought he was dead. His friends thought they were going to go bury him. But uh, when they went to collect his body, he popped back up. Um, and then he kept going. He had decades left him after that. <laughs> so it's just you plow, you plow through. This is the life that we're called to. This is the life that Christmas introduces for us. Yay! So we ought to celebrate. We ought to have parties. We ought to laugh and to learn to love and to spread peace, we ought to keep that joy 
of the incarnation ever before us. We can't forget how wonderful it is that God humbled himself, leapt out of heaven, as, as the introit for the day says. God leapt down from heaven. Like he was excited to do it. He was eager. He leaps down from heaven in order to take our nature on himself, in order to save us. We have to have that joy before us in order to stay motivated to keep walking that path. That's why, that's why the hymns of the church in celebrating all these martyrs do celebrate them. These aren't, these aren't funerals that we get together and, and mark year after year. We don't have a funeral mass for St. Stephen. It's his birthday into the kingdom of God. These are celebratory hymns. Now, yeah, we acknowledge how terrible and painful and awful it is from the, the side of those filled with hatred doing these things to these martyrs. That's awful, of course. But what's not awful is the reward that these martyrs receive. St. Stephen, his name meaning crown or you know, reward, is the first to receive that crown and reward as a martyr of will. The holy innocents are the first to receive their uh, martyr crowns. The hymn of the church actually describes them playing under the throne of God with their martyr crowns. These innocent children who have earned crowns, not by their own will, but indeed they receive these, these crowns and here they are joyful playing as little children under the, the throne of God with their, their reward. And then St. John, of course, an apostle of apostles, a disciple committed to his Lord, the disciple whom the Lord loved and who loved his Lord, going, living, outliving all the other apostles because the, the attempts on his life just didn't succeed. God had something more in store for him. He had to pin his revelation. And so exiled in prison on the island of Patmos, having survived attempts on his life, now in chains and a broken body, he perseveres and finally attains his crown of life. These are the examples set before us in Christmas tide. This is what we're called to do as Christians. And we know that there is a reward worth having at the end of all this. And if our lives don't inspire pushback, a little bit of hatred, if in living lives of love, peace, and joy, lives of excited gospel missionary work, um, then, then we're missing part of the life that we were called to as followers of Christ, as, as those called to participate in the way shown to us at Christmas. I think that's a life worth working on having, not an obnoxious, preachy sort of missionary zeal, but a zeal that makes our hearts become a flame with love for those around us, a love that inspires us to however best works, let people know that God loves them enough to leap down from heaven to be with them. The psalm we sang this morning in our office said that this knowledge was too wonderful and excellent for me. I cannot attain unto it because where can I go from your spirit or where shall I go from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to hell, 
you're there also. Jesus leapt down into the very lowest places that we can go. This leaping down landed him in the cavern of Bethlehem, but throughout the course of his life, eventually it would lead him to the cavern next to Golgotha. When he descended into hell, so that the psalmist was proved right, he descended into hell. He went to the lowest place that there is. So like Atlas, he could grab all of creation and lift it back up so that he drags us up out of the depths of hell itself to be with him. That is good news. That's news worth dying for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.